This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Hey, folks. Welcome to Kelly and Ramya with Kelly and Grant today. And whether you are listening live at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv or 4 p.m. Eastern when we uh, broadcast on AMI-audio, 10 p.m. Eastern repeating on both. We are thrilled to have you here. Kelly, it is always a heck of a lot of fun uh, co-hosting with you. But I do have a question for you that may not be so fun. Uh-oh. Our, yeah. Our credit card bills, mine at least, are getting pretty scary with inflation, food prices, everything like that. I feel like 2024 is really going to be the year when we're all going to have to kind of start cutting back. Uh what would be one thing you would not cut back on unless you absolutely had to? Well, you know, Grant, you hear the scary story, and I, I, I'm not sure if this counts or if you're kind of looking for something that's maybe that extra thing we do. Um, I think right off the top, I'd never cut back on on my medications. I hear so many stories about, obviously, people saying, well, I can't afford that right now. The few that I'm on, I I, I know better than to do that. I wouldn't, you know, oh maybe gosh, it's, it's yeah. the significance of, of some of them. I think some people find, oh, well, this is a bit different than taking a heart med or this, I, I could cut back on that. I think... If I really found that, hey, man, over a year, I just can't afford to, to do something, I'd end up giving up my season's tickets to my London Lightning basketball. I Ooh. would say that would be a reasonable chunk of change I could uh, you know, give up, as well as you know, going to the games and, and buying any food or anything like that at the game. I enjoy it, um, but it would probably be the thing I could give up. Yourself? Oh, that's really sad because I was going to say for me, like experiences, like going out those nights that you really remember going to the comedy show, the game, whatever, like those would be the last thing I would want to give up. But I guess you do what you got to do. And you're absolutely right. Those foods and meds and everything else, they got to stay no matter Mm -hmm. what. Oh, 100%. Ah, maybe we should move on to some brighter topics as we get into what's coming up on today's show. On our nutrition chat with Julia Caranches, we talk about seeds, the differences, and benefits of them. Well, Laura Bain joins us today on the program, and she's going to be discussing a new report that says, hang on for it, folks, that Nova Scotia has the highest poverty rate in the country. It'll be interesting what she's discovered and shares with us. Mm-hmm. Plus, Jeffrey Rainey enjoys collecting hats, but it's a recent interest, and we're going to find out how it got started on our collections mm. chat. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly... It could be the case that less is more when it comes to selections at many retailers. Have you noticed your favorite stores may not be carrying all of your favorites lately? Well, there's a reason for it. Many retailers are reducing their offerings to focus instead on what they say sells best. Case in point, supermarket chain Stu Leonard's carried 49 types of breakfast cereal in 2019. Now they stock just 24, and it isn't just in stores. Coca-Cola's cut its brands in half to 200. Daria Albinger, ABC News. Wow. This is bizarre because I've always heard that 
Well, I always think that more choice is better, but I guess when it comes to marketing, sometimes you give people too many choices. They just can't decide and don't buy anything. But I got to tell you, as a picky eater, uh, the worst thing for me is that all the stores and restaurants and places that I go to, they always take away my favorite item on the menu or my favorite selection. Uh, so, uh, you know, whether it's a certain kind of chocolate that I like to buy, a certain kind of cake, you know, drink, whatever it is, uh, usually once I start liking a product too much, they take it away. It's the grant effect. Uh, yeah. I don't know. How are you? How are you feeling about this? Do you think less is more, or is this not the way we want to be moving? Well, I'm laughing at your discovery too because it's so true. I've heard so many people, and I've noticed it myself. Oh man, I like this. I'm going to go back there and get more of them. There is no more. What? Well, they're gone. And I, I remember at home, my dad used to get mad if we complimented my mom on a great meal. Mom, that was good. He'd say, "Shh, quiet. You say that, we won't see that again." Um, I think, Grant, it's nice, especially since a lot of Canadians who are in border towns want to go across because they say, well, the U.S. stores have so much more. If we have at our Walmart this many box types of cereal, they're going to have twice that. It's interesting to see this, I know, we're not, and this coming from like Coca-Cola, this coming from the distributors, you wonder what happens then. And if you have to wander around, so maybe the going from 49 to 24 types of cereal, well, if one of those that's no longer carried is one of your favorites, does it eventually get dropped off? Or do you, do you find that now we have to go to another store that will carry that particular cereal? So you kind of wonder how that will go and how much running around and how much figuring and how much that will change customer loyalty too. No, yeah, exactly. And it's so bizarre that the geography aspect of it too, when literally it's like this certain brand of Coke or chocolate you can't get across the border. There's actually literally this community, uh, I think on like Reddit, it's called Snack Exchange. And you can literally like mail snacks and treats and stuff like that to people in other <laughs> countries. They're like, it costs a ton oh, more than it would yes. just, just buying it. But at least you can get your, you know, Hershey's milk chocolate nuggets that I can only get in the states we can get them now in canada just for like 20 wow. times more money <laughs> that's a really interesting point i again a group like that because you always hear people saying hey i'll send it to you or whatever uh, or i can or when you go across can you get this for me that is a really interesting group to say the least all right let me just put some dates on the calendar going across the border for my hershey's chocolate nuggets all right <laughs> All right. Nugget awesome. Patrol. <laughs> exactly. Awesome show coming up next up on Ask a Vet with Danielle Youngkind. We talk about animal disease that can that people can get and how we can avoid such a nasty fate. That's next on Kelly and Ramya. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Such conflicting emotions, Kelly, from the last segment. I'm my mouth is still watering from the thought of all the snacks that I nuggets, could be the getting. Nuggets. <laughs> but I'm also fuming at them taking away our favorite product. So what can I look, tell you? Look, I never realized, Grant, four hundred soda drinks kinds? Like I didn't know. 
Cola, Coca-Cola had that many. Like, that blows my mind. Maybe in total since the 1800s when they started. Okay. But, you know, currently floating around at all these factories throughout the world. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. I don't know how anyone could get through those even in a maybe a lifetime. I can kind of see cutting back on those maybe a little bit. Me too. Uh, Exactly. All right, Kelly, let's welcome in, as we do at this time, our veterinarian, Danielle Jeankind. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. Hey, Danielle. Hi. We've got a pretty intense topic here today, so I'm just going to turn it right over to you, and uh, let's just dive right in. Okay, well, uh, today we're actually going to um, talk about, you know, the the topic of zoonotic disease. So, you know, if, if we have pets, you know, most of us don't really think much about possibly catching some kind of disease from them. Um, it can and does happen to some people, though. So, you know, um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what we should know about the possibility of that, you know, what precautions that people can take to minimize these risks. And uh, we're kind of going to go through that today. So that's kind of what we're doing. What? lot of awareness, I think, of illness and disease with, you know, the pandemic and all that's happened in the last several years. Do people and pets get sick with the same diseases? Well, you know, it's it's important to realize that all kinds of microbes are in our environment all the time. So, you know, whatever microbes or little critters that your pet is exposed to, you could be exposed to as well, since, of course, you share the same environment. And, you know, disease in any animal is caused by a complicated interplay of things, you know, um, So it's influenced by the number of microbes that initially invade the body, how good they are at dodging a body's defenses, um, the health of the body that they invade, and and how nasty the effects are when one of them manages to gain a foothold inside a body. So, you know, some species of microbes, they live peaceably together in and around bodies, and others are known to cause disease. So not every disease of an animal will cause diseases in humans, but, you know, we call any that do zoonotic diseases and of course those are the ones that can pass from an infected animal into a human and cause illness in the human too i remember um as a kid being fascinated with what that the wars must have been like inside a human or animal body because of the descriptions when anyway i start thinking wow it must be like some battles and everything like that that are silent battles we don't hear we don't feel ourselves any reaction unless of course we're sick but when we get into the discussion about this, Danielle, what kind of microbes cause zoonotic diseases? Well, you know, I can think of examples from all the major classes of these microscopic things, you know. So right. in the virus category, you know, the worldwide outbreak of avian influenza is an example mm. of a potentially zoonotic disease. Um 
people have occasionally been infected with that, you know. Um, and of course, we know that the outbreak is worldwide in birds, not in people. But, you know, they have had instances where people have caught it from birds. Um, mm. And I don't think any of us should ever forget about rabies virus, you know. Um, yeah. Rabies is nasty in any animal, including people. Um, it's actually caused a lot of deaths worldwide, especially in places where there are not good vaccination programs against it. Um we also see zoonotic disease from bacteria as well. Um, an example would be a condition called leptospirosis. And, um, you know, we also hear about some of these guys in the news too. So um, bacteria like salmonella and E. coli, you know, those are bacteria that can infect animals and end up causing infections in people. Uh, fungi are another source of zoonotic disease. So, you know, cattle farmers and people who live with cats may be familiar with a fungus that infects hair follicles that has the layperson's name of ringworm. It's uh, very contagious and people can get that one too. And the last category of things that cause zoonotic disease are not actually all microbes. Um, some of these are large enough to see with the naked eye. And that's, of course, we're talking about parasites here. So fleas, mites, intestinal worms, intestinal microbes like Giardia and Cryptosporidium. You'll sometimes hear about crypto in the news when people get sick from infected drinking water. Um, but, you know, since I know that crypto is an intestinal parasite of both humans and animals and it's transmitted via fecal material, you know, when I hear those stories, I get really grossed out. I'm like, oh, yuck. <laughs> How did that stuff get into the water? <laughs> yes. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Rabies is, for, for, I guess we all kind of have our own personal one that sort of jumps out at, at us. Rabies is like particularly scary to me just because I don't believe there's actually any test for it really that can be performed on live animals right you just literally have to just sort of guess one way or the other is i believe that's correct yeah Hold there on. there Something. is confirmatory testing but it's oh is there oh, okay all right uh right exactly post-mortem but not not on on living beings i believe i could be wrong about that um so when we look at all these diseases, uh, how worried do you think we should be? Well, you know, we do see zoonotic diseases um, a fa fairly commonly, actually. Um, of course, some of them more often than others. Parasites in pets are relatively common, especially in puppies and kittens. Um, I see that ringworm fungus in kittens occasionally and leptospirosis maybe a few times a year. I am eternally thankful that I personally have never seen an animal with rabies. And of mm. course, E. coli bacteria often causes things like urinary tract infections. And I see it a lot in that context. Having said all of that, you know, there's no way for me to know how many people pick these problems up from their pets and then get sick because of them. And that would mm. definitely be a question to ask a physician, not a veterinarian. But I think the take-home message here is to realize that these things are out there and, you know, we have to take reasonable precautions so you don't get sick with them very smart yeah and when we get on the reasonable precautions what can people do to prevent their their pets from getting these diseases that's that's where we got to start yeah and and of course you know there are some things you can do um so you can certainly ask your vet about a parasite prevention program for your pet 
Um, of course, some pets are more at risk for picking up parasites than others, depending on their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So your vet can just sort of assess those risks depending on, you know, where your pet goes and what other animals they see. And they can make some recommendations for your pet that makes sense. Um, so, you know, they might recommend something like a monthly parasite treatment or a prevention product, for example. Um, you can also make it far less likely for your pet to encounter parasites in the first place. So, you know, don't let them hunt or eat dead animals. Don't let them eat the feces of other animals. Um, letting them drink out of ponds, lakes, and rivers is a bad idea too. And if you take your pet to places where other pets are congregating, like a doggy daycare, for example, you know, make sure they have a policy that everybody in there is on some kind of parasite prevention program. Um, all of these measures are good advice for avoiding bacterial and viral infections as well. Um, leptospirosis is one that comes to mind that your dog can totally get from um, drinking contaminated water. Um, contaminated food is another way for your pet to become mm -hmm. infected with nasty yeah. bacteria and maybe sick with stuff that can infect you too. So that for that reason, it scares me when people feed pet diets or treats with raw meat in them, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, yeah, any yeah. food yeah. can potentially be contaminated. Research has shown that raw diets have a much higher chance of that being the case. Um, Another thing, of course, you can do is to have your pet vaccinated. You know, we certainly have excellent rabies vaccines for pets. There are leptospirosis vaccines for dogs. So if they have immunity to these things, you know, they'll be much less likely to get them, pass them on to their people. And, hmm. you know, the last thing I'd recommend is if you're planning on bringing a new pet into the house, that you isolate it from your other pets until your vet has had a chance to examine your new pet. Make sure everybody's dewormed and up to date on vaccines before you introduce them to the rest of the household, you know, and that I think is a really important thing. I was always very skittish about going to the dog park, you know, because it, it was such a great opportunity for the dog to play run around but man there are so many other animals running around with who knows what kinds of vaccination statuses and diseases uh <laughs> i always tell people it's kind of like sending your child to kindergarten it's great for them yeah. socially they run <laughs> off their energy they come home with everything <laughs> at least my yeah, kids they pick up so much. well and danielle i wonder because i'm sitting here listening to you we go about the puddles and you think okay is some you know pet on a farm safer running around there without you know hey it's safe out here this is the only cat, dog cats or whatever uh that i know of kind of thing or within the city people let their home their their animals out for a little bit you know and their cats and dogs that kind of do roam and stuff like that and i would think probably the city in its own way i would think has its more dangers with the puddles and stuff but then again you get a lot of runoff a lot of things going into those puddles and animals on a farm too yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I say, you know, um, letting your animal um, drink out of groundwater sources is a little bit risky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, oh man. Uh, Daniel, as a veterinarian, you were would be much more likely, I would assume, to be exposed to this kind of zoonotic disease. What would be the precautions you would typically take to prevent getting sick yourself? 
Well, you know, um, we sure do take precautions and of course, so do the clinic staff. You know, um, if we suspect an animal might have a zoonotic disease, you know, we put on appropriate protective clothing. So lab coats and gloves. Um, we might also wear protective glasses if we're worried about aerosols getting into our eyes because of the infection. Um, during the pandemic, I always wore an N95 mask to work and honestly, I still do. Um, if you put the concerns of catching human respiratory diseases aside, the face mask actually had some unexpected advantages in preventing zoonotic disease for short little me. <laughs> I don't get dogs licking oh, me in the face right. and sometimes ah. on the lips anymore. <laughs> oh. So all my dogs out there, I love you guys, but that is just not okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's of too course, bad they're not trained to say, coming in for a hug, Danielle. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> They're using wagging their tails. I have forewarning, but I, I do a lot of dodging. <laughs> exactly. Not, not so good with boundaries, are they? <laughs> no, 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 for sure. And, you know, um, oh, we're, we're constantly washing our hands, you know, disinfecting the tables and the instruments in contact with every patient. And, of course, with the potential zoonotic disease that expands to every surface in the clinic that the patient or any of their body fluids might have been touching. So, you know, we're pretty careful about that. Okay. So what about the instructions you give clients uh, whose pets may have a zoonotic disease? Well, it varies a bit depending on what the pet has, of course, but, you know, we might tell them to how to clean up the environment to remove disease organisms from it. Um, that's really important with certain diseases mm -hmm. like that ringworm fungus and a parasite called Giardia. Uh, we also commonly describe how to handle pet waste safely and tell people not to sleep with their pets or allow them to lick their faces. Um, washing their hands after touching a pet or cleaning up after them and before handling food or sticking your fingers in your mouth, that's another recommendation we give out a lot. And, you know, we always tell people, you know, if you have specific questions regarding your own safety or the medical risks of keeping a pet, um, you should talk to your physician about it, you know. Um, funny story, but I actually did have one physician phone me once and ask about a disease of sheep that can cause skin lesions in people. And it was really great wow. to be able to help him find the information he needed on that. And I was thinking, wow, when there's overlap like that, you know, vets and doctors should totally work together more than oh. we do. You totally should. You totally should. Fantastic tips, Danielle. Great to keep in mind. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Danielle Junkind joins us weekly at this time for Ask a Veterinarian. Coming up next on a nutrition chat with Julia Cranches, we talk about seeds, the differences and benefits of them. Stick with us. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Romney return with more in a moment. Thrilled to have you with us on Kelly and Ramya with Grant and Kelly today. If you've been here since the beginning, thank you for sticking with us. If not, and you just missed our chat with Danielle Jonkind, feel free to check us out on the Kelly and Ramya podcast, which we put up every weekday. And we even include a vanity card from a team member at the end of the podcast with some extra little info or fun nuggets for you to check out there. That's the Kelly and Ramya podcast on your favorite podcast platform. True.
On the K, Grant, and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I have a, a fire alarm that may trick off, folks, so I do pre-apologize. And uh, if I disappear, Grant, we know what that is. Every other Tuesday, we're joined by nutritionist Julia Karanchis. Hi, I'm Julia Karanchis. Join me on Kelly and Remya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. A world of testing alarms. Today we're chatting about, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the difference and benefits of them. Julia, welcome back. Good day. Thank you. Hello. I'm anxious to get into this conversation. And we, we you know, sometimes we'll talk about um, seeds from a different angle with our gardener. But we talk a lot about, hey, what do we do with this? And I, I've, over my years, especially when I was a kid and got over the, can I eat these without growing pumpkins in my belly? Uh, seeds have always been a curiosity. Yeah, I, you know, I am a creature of habit. I was recently making my smoothie, which I always put flax in it. I ran out of flax and just didn't have time to get any more. And then I remembered that I had chia seeds in the cupboard and thought, oh, okay, yeah, I could just use these instead. You know, and I had bought chia seeds for another recipe and sort of forgot that I can use these things interchangeably. And so today we're gonna to talk about chia seeds, flax seeds and hemp seeds and the differences, the benefits and how to incorporate them into, into your diet. Um, okay. You know, yeah. Mm, mm, fantastic. Well, I get curious because I, well, again, none of us probably know a lot about them, including hesitating of, well, it's in the grocery store. I guess I can eat these. So <laughs> before we get into the differences, what are the similarities? So I grouped these three seeds specifically together because there's obviously a lot of other seeds. You know, there's pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds, and we can talk right. about those at a different time. But I specifically grouped these three together because of their similarities. And I think that's, mm. you know, mentally, many of us do put them in the same category, which is why we typically eat one or the other. Yes. But they are all, they're all really tiny. And they all give us a source of unsaturated fat, specifically the omega fats. Uh, they'll all give us a bit of these fats, which is why I think we think of these guys as the same. Um, they also will all give us a bit of fiber and some minerals, and they can also be used in similar ways, such as as a topping on yogurt or cereal, or add it into smoothies on top of oatmeal, or also incorporate it into baking. All right, fantastic. And uh, let's talk about what makes them different obviously we don't just use the same one every time people use them a variety so what makes them different why would someone want to eat one over the other so this is where the conversation really can get interesting because they are similar in that they all give they all provide us some omegas they're similar in that they're these tiny, tiny little seeds, but they have a lot of differences, which is why I do think it's important to incorporate all of them, not necessarily at the same time, but at mm -hmm. some point in your, you know, yearly eating, there it's a benefit mm -hmm. to all eat them. But if you, if you want to increase protein, hemp seed is the way to go. Hemp seed is going to provide mm -hmm. almost double the amount of protein per serving as compared to chia or flax. And so this is wow. one of the differences is that hemp is going to give us more protein, which is really important if you're vegan or vegetarian, because mm -hmm. that's something mm -hmm. that you want to place some focus on. So Absolutely. that's a great fact to know. And then 
if you want to increase your fiber for the day, which we have talked about a lot on the, our segment because fiber is very dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> Chia. Chia is going to be your best friend. So that's where we have, you know, the Chia seeds will really shine because they have a very high soluble fiber content. And then right in the middle is where the flaxseed is going to land. Now the flaxseed, it will give you protein, not as much as the hemp, but still mm -hmm. provides some. And it will also give you some fiber. Flaxseed, here's another difference. So flaxseed will also provide minerals like magnesium, which we've talked about because it's mm -hmm. one of the most important minerals. Also one that's really depleted from our soil. So there's always a need to really try to eat foods that give us some magnesium. So we get that from flaxseed. And then flaxseed also gives us another nutrient called a lingon. And a lingon has been shown to have antioxidant properties that have been linked to a lower risk of osteoporosis as well as breast cancer. And so flaxseed will offer us different nutrients than the hemp and the chia in, in that regard. So there's some pretty, pretty big similarities, but some pretty big differences as well. That's cool. I, it's just amazing because I don't think of them that way. I don't know how to manage them. And yet, like you said, they're on the tip of everyone's tongue. So let's get into how we would eat them. And Julia, in all fairness, do they all digest the same? So this is, yeah, these are, this is another good conversation because there's, they are different. And because they digest different and they behave different, they, you might not like one versus the other because of this. So this right. is also something to keep in mind. So, you know, they don't digest the same. Flaxseed, yeah. the husk of a flaxseed is, it's hard. And your gut typically does not break this down. So, you know, not to be gross, but if you eat a whole flaxseed, you're probably past a whole flaxseed. Um, it doesn't typically break down in our gut. And so flaxseeds are best consumed. I know it's gross, but that's- Well, I get that and from sighted people saying that about corn. So I've heard it. <laughs> there you go. You know, I mean, that's not a great thought, but the, the point is if you're not breaking the food down, you're not getting the nutrition from it. Chew it, it'll and reassemble. So Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> so with flax seeds, you want them ground. And you can buy them whole and grind them yourself, or you can buy them already ground. It, it, that doesn't matter. But you would want to consume the flaxseed ground. That's the, that's the way to eat them. But chia, chia is really different. It's really soft, much softer, and it can be added as is to things. You can keep it whole or you can grind it. It doesn't matter. The other interesting thing about chia is that it will absorb about 10 times its weight in liquid, which makes it really ah, interesting, interesting to work with. Yeah. So the text, it will really affect the texture of what you're not only putting it in, but also the texture of when it finally gets to your mouth because it will absorb. And then because of this absorption, you can make really interesting things like you can make pudding with chia seeds, right. either whole mm -hmm. or ground, right? You would have to let it sit and let that absorption occur, but you couldn't do this with, with flax or hemp because it doesn't have this absorbability factor. And so also because of this, you could use chia as a thickener in recipes, which would also be really interesting because then you'd also be increasing the fiber content as well as other, you know, minerals and things like that. But it would it could be used as a natural soup thickener or thickener in any recipes. Flax can can also uh, be used as a thickener, but again, hemp 
you couldn't use it as that. Um, mm -hmm. And but Chia, you use in the brownies too, right? In the in the vegan brownies, yeah. I believe we thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I love could, them. The, you know, you could do really fun things with chia. Yeah, that's kind of where I was well, going to. You know, I I always sort of joke that it's so much easier to eat. Uh, unhealthily than to eat healthy food because un unhealthy food, you just eat it with healthy food. I'm always thinking like, am I doing it right? Is it necessary? Right. Is it necessary to consume these seeds like in certain ways or with certain specific other foods? If you want the protein or the health benefit, if you want them to sort of be absorbed in the correct way, or is that not really like a big issue? Just eat it. However, uh, eat it to taste, if you will? Uh, it's a great question because there are nutrients that do need to be with other nutrients for absorption. But with, with the seeds, they're a fat all on their own. They don't gotcha. really need anything else to be absorbed. The flaxseed, though, the caveat is you want to grind it. Of course, but, yeah. You know, yeah. you would still get, with hemp seed, I mean, if you want to just eat spoonfuls of hemp seed, you'd still be getting the same pro protein content, whether you mixed it with something or not right. it would just had it well had it, it mixed in with other things um yeah. whether it be yogurt or a dry like if you had you know like other nuts and seeds and stuff and you wanted it in there you could add and and go with that yeah exactly and you know they do taste a bit different you know flaxseed has this really dry nutty taste to it it's it it's kind of distinct and so that might be something that your palate is sensitive to and maybe you don't like it and so for that for that reason it has to be out because it's just not something that you would want to incorporate into your day whereas chia seeds have a much milder flavor hemp seeds are a bit nutty as well um i think they're a bit nicer but again it's very subjective it's really what your taste buds um agree with but in terms of being able to absorb the nutrients in them it you don't have to pair them it's just how you know are you incorporating them in a way that works for you in your daily routine mm -hmm. what a straightforward thing to add right where you're not you know other than the powdered version or making sure it's ground yeah. up when it comes to the the flaxseed what a thing that if you have things already made that you don't mind throwing this on that you don't look at it and go ew what's that covering my pudding <laughs> or you know whatever you might wish to throw it in with that tastes okay wow how what an easy thing yeah yeah they are easy and chia seeds they absorb the fluid or the liquid but you don't need to pre-absorb them you don't need to let them sit in water um, you can just throw them on whatever you're eating and they'll they'll congeal. So if you're throwing them on cereal, when you start eating your cereal, they'll just be these tiny chewy seeds. And by the time you're done eating your cereal, they'll be sort of softer, more gelatinous texture. They might get stuck in your teeth, which might be uncomfortable, but <laughs> so perhaps perhaps a little bit of a dare I say a gateway a type of healthy food where if you wanted to incorporate a little bit different fatty or protein foods different from what you're used to this might be kind of a low energy uh you know way to sort of incorporate some new foods into the diet that you're already having oh my gosh yes what a fantastic point absolutely absolutely it you know you can buy a package of hemp seeds if you're already a cereal eater you're, all you're doing now is just opening that hemp seed bag and sprinkling Dump. a spoonful on your hemp seed. That's it. Like on your cereal. And it's so easy. If you, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a good point. It is a, it's yeah, a gateway I'm, health food. This, this is thing. the way I'd be doing it with <laughs> uh, with old Red River cereal and any of those things. You betcha, because, I, and that's what I think about. Like, wow, because some of that stuff has the stuff in it, but I, I'd probably have all three. Just dump a little bit in yeah. to get that quotient. Um, just one of the things to think about, if someone really is serious, feels this is a component they need, to mix up at points of the year, how much? If you have some every day, one or the other, or a combination, you don't need a lot either. You don't. You're looking at here one to two tablespoons of these seeds. You know, two is a high serving. If it's if it's hemp and you're trying to get protein in, you might go with three tablespoons of the hemp. But three tablespoons of chia seed would be a lot. And same thing with the flax. That would probably not taste great if you were incorporating it into a single serving of something so one tablespoon maybe two which is not a lot and so again because of the quantity is small really easy if you eat granola stick some extra stuff on top an extra tablespoon of that flaxseed yeah i love it i love it is one of the other better than the other julia or would we say it's a draw you just kind of interchangeable mix them up and try to incorporate all of them yeah, I definitely wouldn't label one of them the best. They're all great. You can eat them all at the same time if you want, but you don't need to. And then just keep in mind that they have different textures and different tastes. And if you don't like one, that doesn't mean that you won't like the other two. You might like one Perfect. of them. Awesome. Julia, of course, thank you kindly. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, guys. Talking Seeds today with Julia Caranchis, our nutritionist. We have these conversations opposite wellness with uh, Francis, and we do that every other Tuesday uh, right here on Kelly and Rumya. Coming up next, Laura Bain discusses a new report which says that Nova Scotia has the highest poverty rate in the country. Stay with us. It's Kelly and Rumya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Rumya on AMI-tv. We're live with you every day from noon to 4 Eastern, 11 to 1 Pacific for me. It's Kelly and Ramya with Brant and Kelly today. Ramya is a little under the weather. We're all wishing her the very best and hope she will be back ASAP. Time to get into our next discussion. This should be a really interesting one, I think, Kelly. Joining us now is Laura Bain, and she's joining us from Nova Scotia to discuss a new report which says that Nova Scotia has the highest poverty rate in Canada. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the show. Hi, Grant. Happy to be here. It is lovely to chat with you again, uh, even though we're... I love these reunions. Oh, I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, the ATW reunion things just kill me. I love it. Yeah, it literally feels like we're just, you know, chatting on the phone or chatting in another production meeting, even though we have a little bit of a heavier topic here. Do you want to just dive into this report uh, that you're going to be talking about, what it says? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is a report by United Way Halifax, and it came out a couple weeks ago. It's called United in Poverty Action, and it sort of gives an overall picture of some of the circumstances in Nova Scotia related to poverty since 2018, which is when I'm assuming they released their last report. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. overall, it paints a fairly grim picture. I think you might have mentioned off the top there that 
Uh, it does say that Nova Scotia has the highest rate of poverty in the country right now. And it talks about some of the ways that this is manifesting with one of the ways that people I think are most acutely aware of being housing insecurity that we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. So just to give an example of uh, something that's in the report, between 2019 and 2023, so over sort of a four-year period, the number of people who were sleeping rough or unhoused in, in Halifax went from 269 individuals to 1,082 individuals. So that's a quadrupling yeah. in that time period. And of course, that's not counting, you know, folks who are, are hidden homeless. It also looks at things like food insecurity. It tells us that Nova Scotia has the second highest rate of food insecurity in the country uh, and that there's been a nearly a 20 percent increase in food bank usage since 2019. So all of this is just sort of the evidence of the situation and as I said how this poverty that it talks about is manifesting. It's uh, Laura it's so surprising to me because as an Ontario person and I'm not even going to get into the haves haves nots in, in, in the way Ontario is viewed and anything that's a whole topic of itself and some of the privileges or things we have but some of the people will argue about the population here. But one of the things I've had to hear for years since I've come from Quebec even uh, as a child is people wanting to go west out to BC. Oh, it's like it's the promised land. And in more recent years, out east. Everybody loves the idea of living near the ocean and living out in Nova Scotia. I know so many people who have transplanted themselves and you start scratching your head saying, well, what's going on and how does this contribute, if at all, to some of the things you're describing here? So what are some of those reasons that they're pointing to yeah. that make things so dire in Nova Scotia? So it is certainly a complex picture, um, but some of it is, as you mentioned, having to do with an increase in our population. So up until about 10 years ago, say around 2015, there were actually concerns that Nova Scotia didn't have enough population growth and that there weren't enough sort of younger folks to support an aging population. So at that time, the government put certain policies in place to try and increase the number of people coming into Nova Scotia from other countries, for example, around uh, policies around international students and transitioning um, to residency after they completed their schooling, things like that. So some of these efforts have started to pay off over the last few years. But when the pandemic happened, something that nobody had anticipated was the unprecedented number of people from other provinces who wanted to move here. Um, and some reasons for that were, were folks wanting to escape cities during the pandemic, uh, moving to what they perceived as a more slow pace of life uh, compared to somewhere like Vancouver or Toronto. Certainly, if we're talking two or three years ago, uh, Nova Scotia was a more affordable place. A lot yes. of people were digital nomads because they were working from home, so they really could move uh, somewhere else. And then, of course, the success we had with our COVID policies here and kind of that enticement of having lower virus numbers exactly so we had this sort of rep record breaking population growth but the infrastructure really wasn't in place to support that and what that led to was a severe housing shortage and this meant that landlords can increase rents so there's been a lot of things like rent evictions which i know have been an issue um across the country and people having to oh, yeah. really stretch beyond their means to put a roof over their heads or in the worst case scenario not being able to stretch far enough not having anything at that lower end and 
becoming unhoused. And then, uh, you know, we've seen rising food costs across the country. That's certainly happening here. But in Nova Scotia, we have relatively low wages and low income assistance rates compared to the rest of the country. Uh, so, for example, a single individual with a disability here in Nova Scotia receives about $950 a month on assistance or, you know, between eleven dollars and $12,000 a year. There's a couple of variables, but like good luck trying to survive on that. And sort of related to disability and related to this poverty that we're seeing here, Nova Scotia has the highest rate of people with disabilities across the country with 37% of our population having at least one disability. And we know that for a variety of reasons, disability can go hand in hand with poverty. Yeah, it's so interesting and, and goes in tandem with a thought that I've always had about uh, our country where we just have so many really charming communities like yours, where it sounds like you guys are, are little, literally a victim of like your own success, just being so charming and handling COVID so well and, and just doing really well. But on the other hand, we really don't have a whole lot of that kind of social safety net do we that the, the, we don't really have the infrastructure or the help in order to really help people experience the joy of communities across the country yeah of course and and i mean there have been benefits to um you know the increase in population that we've had and i certainly want to place the emphasis on the um inadequate infrastructure rather than <laughs> kind of villainizing the people that have come into the province oh, but i think gosh, we really yes. didn't no, have of kind of the infrastructure i i sort of think it's hard for people who haven't lived here for a long time though to understand just how dramatically things have changed in terms of the rents and the housing prices an article that i read kind of preparing for this segment said that uh, housing prices have gone up 25% in Nova Scotia between 2022 and 2023. So that's just astronomical. And, you know, I think there's really a feeling of people being kind of trapped in whatever their current living situation is. Uh, for example, you know, my partner and I, we feel fortunate to have this one-bedroom apartment that we are in, but we would very much like to be in a one-bedroom-plus den or a two-bedroom apartment. But, um, you know, I've been in this place for a couple of years, so the rent has only gone up so much every year. So it's it's hundreds of dollars below what the market value would be for someone coming in. And if we were to move into a two-bedroom, we'd actually have to double what we were paying every month. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, you know, and, and again, just like with the number of unhoused people kind of seeing those uh, tent encampments on the ground, uh, like especially in the downtown core, and a lot of people people who are really obvious need of support, uh, mental health, addiction, and otherwise. It's really um, changed the feeling of the city over the last few years. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine, but except I stop and think because I saw what happened here in London. Then we had all these Toronto people coming here because they didn't have to be in the office all the time. And you wonder how much property is being bought up across the country, causing this effect with that mentality from the big conglomerates or that have that mentality of, hey, let's get people you know, in a position where anyone coming in, we they have to pay more. Laura, are there any solutions that you've come across either in this report or elsewhere? 
Yeah, we've talked about how bad things are. Is there any way out of this? Um, well, the report talks about the need for changes that emphasize human rights, equity, and decreasing income disparity. I, I totally agree with that, although it's a little bit vague. It talks about yeah. increasing resources for organizations working at the advocacy and community level. Uh, I, I, you know, completely agree with that, although I think, of course, this is coming from a not-for-profit, so we would expect them to advocate for something like that. You know, as I said, 37% of Nova Scotians have a disability and looking at that current level or lack thereof of support, I think that a dramatic increase in the funding that people are receiving would be a step in the right direction. And mm -hmm. I personally think that that should come through the Canada Disability Benefit because that has talked about lifting people out of poverty. I know there's no number tied to it right now, but kind of getting people above that market basket measure. And, uh, you know, I think other than that, really, the city needs to put a massive effort or the province needs to put a ma massive effort into affordable housing, maybe repurposing some of those abandoned buildings that we have downtown that have seemed to increase over the last few years. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, increasing access to health care, because we know there's this complex bi-directional relationship between access to health care and poverty, including um, mental health and addiction supports, but also also, you know, lack of a family doctor and people maybe not being able to work, for example, because they are experiencing a health issue that's been ongoing. Well, absolutely. If you're experiencing homelessness or you're experiencing a health issue and can't get proper care, that that pretty much is the focus of your life, which I think people don't quite understand when they're not willing to do anything about it. You could be contributing to society a, a, a lot more if we could just eliminate some of these barriers. Mm -hmm. for people uh thanks laura that's really uh insightful and totally agree uh changing gears a little bit here to your second topic uh, you wanted to tell us about an upcoming online class for people who are blind or partially sighted yeah, that's right. Maybe um, leave people with something just a little more hopeful or more positive that they can uh, engage in. So I want to tell people about an on an online intro level ballet class that is specifically designed for adults who are blind or partially sighted. So this is with the company Darkroom Ballet, who I'm sure some listeners and viewers have heard of. Uh, it's with instructor Krishna Washburn, who is herself a blind ballet dancer and dance instructor. She's actually the only teacher in the English-speaking world who's teaching traditional blind ballet technique. And so I've taken the intro level course. I've actually taken it twice. And something that's just so cool about this course and why I kind of want to spread the gospel is that it's open to anyone anywhere in the world who is a blind or partially sighted adult. It's completely free of charge. And you can join online over Zoom, or if you don't have access to Zoom, you can actually just call in over the phone because it is 100% accessible for those who are blind or partially sighted. You're not going to miss anything by not seeing what's happening on the screen. Awesome. So we're a little tight of time. I really love to know what you love, if there's anything else, but also, Laura, what do you say is the easiest way for people to get the info? Well, I think what I enjoyed was taking a class that was specifically designed for uh, blind and partially sighted students. It wasn't an afterthought. And she really does an amazing job of kind of conveying the specialness of that uh, blind dancing tradition. 
And so I would say that uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be quick here. What do I want to leave That's okay. people you have a with? Bit of time. I, I yeah, I just want to say that I think it's a, a kind of an emotional journey for people as much as it is about learning ballet technique. Um, but it is quite a challenging course, and you have to be committed to showing up every weekend to doing your rehearsals, which I found difficult. So I would say mm. you know sign up for it if you feel uh, prepared to do that. But apart from that, there's really no um, previous dance experience uh, required. It's assumed you have no level of knowledge on that. And it is Perfect. open to people of, of quite different fitness levels. So if folks Fantastic. want to know more, there's a new cycle starting right at the beginning of March, March 9th. And they can go to darkroomballet.com to find out about that particular class or any other classes that they are offering that might be Fantastic. Thank you so much, Laura. We really love chatting with you. And thanks for all the info. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Laura Bain joins us once a month to deliver news and highlights from the East Coast. Coming up in the next hour, Jeffrey Rainey enjoys collecting hats, but it's a recent interest. We find out how it all got started on our collections chat. Plus, Nathan Sartori, program coordinator for To Live, tells us about an upcoming described acrobatic performance of The Mirror. But up next on our community report with Tony Framark, she tells us about a CNIB Western social meetup taking place later this week. Stick with us. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. If you have a question or comment for Kelly and Ramya, call the feedback line at 1-866-509-4545 and give us permission to use your message on the air. Or email your thoughts to Ramya at ami.ca. Well, I hope if you've missed any part of Kelly and Ramya today with Kelly and Grant hosting that you do check out the podcast because I'm always so amazed at uh, just how we run the gamut, talk about all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, Kelly, I'm especially impressed. We were talking with our nutritionist, Julie, Julia Crantis, in the previous hour. I am a really picky eater, uh, and that's why I find it really hard to get into healthy eating. But I think Julia has actually given me a ridiculously simple gateway idea to just incorporate Ask. some seeds into my diet. Yeah, exactly. You seemed right into that, Grant, because I know <laughs> we've talked about your pickiness on the show before, and you were all over that topic today, and I loved it. I thought, hey, man, this is somebody's going to... And, and I must admit, it's something I feel easy enough to do, something that I, I know is healthy, good, especially the protein thing. I know I don't eat as much red meat as I used to for, for protein. I was always a big red meat person, but I noticed that over the, in the last few years, I have kind of cut back. So of course I started thinking the same, okay, where mm -hmm. am I gonna get that protein? Because through my life I've had an iron deficiency and I just wanna be sure of what I'm doing, where I'm getting these things and, you know, and, and kind of filling in the gap. So good on you, man, and I, I agree. It's that kind of thing to add. I just like how easy you could do it, to oatmeal, to cereal, to yogurts, uh, smoothies, as a lot of people do, and, and we know that, so fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. Mr. Hardy, on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, we have the privilege of visiting with our community reporters. They come on board on the program to talk to us about things going on in their regions, to reflect on a few things, share with us all sorts of experiences and stuff like that from their area. Really paint great pictures. It's time to welcome in our community reporter, Tony Freimark from Southern Alberta, to the program. Tony, welcome back. Good day to you. 
Yeah, good day to you guys as well. Hard to believe that. Just about the middle of February already. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. For sure. How's your weather out there? Do you, uh, I I mean, I've heard various things at times, snow, cold, other times, balmy. You know, it's snow and then it freezes at night. Then you got to deal with the skating rink and. (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) always so so hard to get my my partner actually bought me some grippers a few years ago like the kind you you use in uh curling i probably look ridiculous but i've been wearing them sometimes on snowy and icy days and it really actually helps a lot don't know how long they'll last though it's It's not about what you look like that's right (laughs) it's about the safety the only thing i hate about the grippers is if you don't realize it's fallen off and especially if you're curling, yeah, you can move pretty fast. I've, I've had that happen once or twice. <laughs> Generally, they don't, but whoa. Uh, Tony, CNIB Western Social Meetup is your first topic. Yeah, so this is something that goes on every Thursday from 10 o'clock until 11.30. Now we've extended it uh, half an hour, but... Uh, the next two weeks is going to be pretty exciting. We're having guest mm. speakers on the 15th here this Thursday. We're going to be having the Come to Work program talk to us about the ins and outs of the Come to Work program. And then the following week, we are going to have the independent living specialist from Vision Loss Rehab, Alberta, come talk to us about her tricks and and uh, what it's like to be an independent living specialist and she will yeah be there to answer any questions and she's been in the field for 18 years so yeah really looking forward to it wow i love it I, i love it when you get events like this and you know, there's enough people to have that kind of talk. And, you know, like, Tony, for me, when you get into anything like this, I just love the con- the conversations that are spurned, that come from it yeah. as people are there, and what, what each one of us has our own take on it, right? And, like, pe- how people just don't know what some of these people do. And, like, the independent living specialist, like, she's visually impaired herself, right? So that's something to to look up to and know that you can live on your own as well get some tips mm. sorry get some tricks and if you need some help then she can come to your house as well yeah i was part of a, a young adults group years and years ago at cnib before i started working and it was great because just the getting out you know when you don't get out a lot that's that's always really useful but then kind of meeting people in house really getting up and close and seeing what they do uh, is a little bit different sometimes than just hearing about it online you're like i could be doing this but uh, i'm not really motivated but actually having that in-person connection can be really helpful it really can so we hear all over the place about ios and iphone accessibility but now uh android accessibility is uh getting some representation as well workshop through the cnib can you talk about that yeah, this is really nice to see, as you mentioned. Like, they don't really have, it seems, many support for, at least I haven't found any way for accessibility for Androids um, and tablets, Android tablets. So, what's really cool about this is it kind of reminds me of like on a cable TV 
you know, you got, ah, you know, this is show's going to happen at this time. And then ah, a couple hours later, the same program will be happening. So they're having it uh, starting on Thursday. Uh, there's four weeks uh, and they're going to talk about first week is about accessibility. Uh, just kind of talking about the accessibility of uh, androids. And then the second week, they're going to be talking about just accessibility for the low vision. Mm -hmm. And then the third week, they're going to be talking about for the totally blind folks. And the fourth week, we'll be talking about um, how to use the Google Assistant and uh, how, do you, how you can dictate to your phones. So they're offering those programs twice a day. So that's really cool because, like, for the people that are, you know, that are busy during, say, this time, then they can come on over to the to the next time that it's happening. So I got all signed up for it. If anybody else wants to get signed up, just head on over to the CNIV website, and uh, you can find the registration right there. It just goes uh, right to the person's inbox to sign up okay gone that's great gone yeah. are the days when we had to purchase the like one specific model one two three four blah 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 phone <laughs> that was the only model that was accessible now we can get all that's right. the leading android and iphones and they're all accessible awesome I, re I remember the days when it was just talks that you'd get and put on a phone it uh, you know it was unbelievable and only one type um let's t move on to your th third item tony this is a, a personal experience yellow markings on your elementary school stairs mm. yeah this is so cool because when i grew up i grew up in a rural area and i was the only one with a visual impairment and we had lots of stairs in our in our school and so you know they didn't even hesitate you know we don't we don't want tony falling down the stairs we want her to know this area right so they they put the the tape the yellow tape on every stair and what's cool about it is i went back to that school you know a few years later after i had moved on to to a different school and they still had those very same very same markings on the stairs. I'm sure they've probably weared off by now, but because that's how many years ago, <laughs> I'm not going to date myself. <laughs> but it's just something came so there. simple, right? Something yeah, so I... simple that they don't they don't mind. They don't mind just making it a little easier and safer. And I wonder if any other that's students right. after yeah. you came, maybe some other students came that needed it. Yeah, that's right. Even even just the person without the disability could help them too, right? Yeah, well, totally. I like the fact that you you had the texture with the tape, but also yeah. the yellow, obviously, for those with, with, you know, low vision, that that would work for. That's really yeah. cool. Kept you safe, too, from tumbling down those stairs. That's right. <laughs> awesome stuff, Always. Tony. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Really amazing. You. And it's really cool when you get those opportunities uh, or a school says, well, we could do this and the willingness. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd love to go there now, Tony. When you get a chance, just go wander in the school. And if they don't throw you out, check to see if they're there. <laughs> if you, you start messing with the tape, they'll think you're unpeeling it if it is still there. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, have a good week, yeah. guys.
Cheers. Tony Fry. Yeah, yeah. Tony Frymark, our community reporter, of course, from Southern Alberta. Sorry, Grant. What was that? No, oh, yeah. I I'm I'm gonna try that walk into my old high school and see if anyone kicks me out, calls security. Yeah, they might. I no. thought you were gonna say you're gonna go look for your yellow tape. I'd say, what the heck, Hardy? That's a long time ago. That stuff decayed <laughs> and rotted away. Even the hey, janitors hey, got rid of that's that. Not he has said all right, Kelly, I think we should move on. Coming up next, Nathan Sartori, <laughs> program coordinator for To Live, To Live, tells us about an important, an upcoming uh, described acrobatic performance of The Mirror. Stick with us. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya. Grant Hardy here with Kelly McDonald today. Just had a discussion with our community reporter that just made me think how cool it is uh, when you implement some sort of accessibility change, uh, as Tony Frymark mentioned they had done in her high school with some uh, markings on the stairs there. And just how cool that is, Kelly, when an accessibility change like that benefits not just someone who's blind or low vision, but actually everybody, maybe people who aren't, are just not looking for whatever reason. And I know... You can't look at it as, um, like in this case with Tony, that one action suits everybody, even those with a vision impairment. But also you can't forgo those that, as Tony mentioned, it may help somebody that sees quite well at some point mm -hmm. because they're distracted or whatever. Oh, geez, a step or whatever. Um, I, I like it. I always wonder how much, because you get schools with, where I went to school when I left the blind school, there was at that time, and I know it's probably bigger now, 2,100 students. So if there's an, um, a demand for some accessibility, you're, on one hand, in a position to get it done. On the other hand, well, how do we do for you, Grant, when we don't know if that'll work for Kelly? I, I, I kind of love the attempts, and I love that they jump to it. Um, and again, we know certainly it's a safety thing. You're messing with stairs. There may be some other contrasts or things that you want to ask for that may not be as, as easy to do, such as lighting or something like that. But I, I think it's really wonderful and not just inspiring. That's not what I'm looking for. But it gives you some hope that, hey, at least I can step forward and ask. The worst they can say is no. A lot of time, most of us just get into that defeat of attitude of, oh, I'm not even going to bother. They're going to tell me it's too much of an inconvenience. So really nice sharing and, and really kind of cool. That ever happened for you anywhere in a, in a situation where you kind of just needed something on the built environment? I, I'm from the city of Surrey, and they are super accommodating, actually, when it comes to accessibility. So shout out for them. You know, the, the fights we always have to do to get an accessible light, maybe. Yes. You email the city of Surrey, you say this intersection is a little tricky, whatever. Chances are they email you back and, okay, cool. Thanks for contacting us. We'll get this accessible light installed. So oh, that's shout fantastic. out to them. Wow. Shout out to them for sure. Uh, accessible theater. This is something I'm really digging now that we're getting more and more accessible uh, plays and live theater. And Two Live is presenting a described performance of The Mirror, which is a play that explores the connection between self-love and self-expression using acrobatics. And the 2 p.m. performance on Sunday, February 18th in Toronto will be audio described by Rebecca Singh of uh, Superior Description Services. And Nathan Sartori, program coordinator for To Live, is here to tell us a little bit more. Welcome to the program again. 
welcome to the program again, uh, Nathan, and uh, great to chat with you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hi, Grant. Hi, uh, Kelly. Nice to be here with you both. I think you guys have just uh, emailed, right? You guys have emailed back and forth, so this <laughs> yeah, is like the official, yeah, I, hey! <laughs> I, I guess I mean more collectively talk to you again on the show, but yes, I believe this is the first time I've actually spoken to you uh, by voice, so that is really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, nice to finally meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your organi- uh, organization uh, and your uh, the mission behind it really quickly to, to, to brief everybody? Who hasn't heard you before? For sure, yeah. So TO Live is a uh, amalgamation of three different venues who came together in 2015, uh, and we oversee three historic city venues, Meridian Hall, or you may know that as Sony Center, O'Keefe Center, Hummingbird Center. It's had its uh, slew of names over the years, uh, as well as the St. Lawrence Center for the Arts, and now what is known as Meridian Arts Center up in North York. Uh, And what I do is run all of the access Programming. So whether that be audio description like we have this weekend for the mirror or ASL interpretation or relaxed performances, anything of that sort is uh, in my territory. Um, and we're really passionate and inspired to make change and, and make theater and make art uh, more accessible to everyone in Toronto. So I've never asked you, Nathan, but I do wonder, do you ever find with one of the productions, the accessibility element more challenging to an almost frustrating point where maybe a particular kind of show does not lend itself as much to, I mean, certain things accessibility-wise, you can have there all the time. Other other shows, do you find that, wow, how are we going to incorporate as much as this, whether it might be audio description or a relaxed performance due to some nature of the show? Have you run into that or have you found... The, when you when you've got the will, you've got the experiences you guys do at TO Live. It's not a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's a selection process in terms of what access measures <laughs> go with with each show, right? So for the mirror, yeah. um, we are only doing audio description, um, and we have had to you know choose one thing over the other for different reasons. Whether the show itself uh, is maybe more suitable to one access measure versus another, or it might be a timing thing in terms of you know this is an international company that's here from Australia. They're only here for a few days, so what can we do uh, that's going to be you know, that's really going to be accessible for people. We don't want to just integrate something uh, that's, you know, not actually going to provide that access. And we always have to remember that some access measures might conflict with others. So right. um, yes. everyone has different access needs. So it's it's trying to, um, you know, pair the shows with appropriate access measures and making sure that they are actually um, making the shows more accessible. Yeah. Fantastic. I would like a puzzle. <laughs> it, would be, it would be, and that's what made me stop and think how you accomplish where at times you must feel like, gosh, we can't do as much as we you know, have in the past in this kind of application, yeah. or this does conflict with something else and take away from, it, it's kind of like a, oh boy. And there, there is, and we know that it, with accessibility, there, there are those times where just some things we're not as able to be as flexible or as generous or, or whatever way you want to describe it. So I, I kind of sitting here thought, geez, that must be a real battle. And I know how you guys feel about it. Sometimes a source of frustration. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nathan, you want to tell us a little bit about the mirror as a matter of fact, uh, what can we yeah. expect to hear? 
see and experience at that described performance on Sunday? Great question. So as I mentioned, we have the company Gravity and Other Myths. It's a circus company uh, from Australia who are here just this week to present The Mirror for us. The Mirror is a really interesting piece of dance and circus. Um, we're going to hear original music by an Australian composer, um, but we will also be experiencing incredible uh, virtuosic circus um, and acrobatics, things that are really going to take your breath away. And so uh, we were really in inspired to make that uh, circus accessible to the blind and low vision community, of oh, course. Oh, yes. Oh, man. So it's many of us would yeah. instantly say we couldn't take part in. So this is fantastic. Even, even if we kind of know what it is, it's sort of hard to fathom because we may have gone to circuses as a young blind child. And now here you are with what, how's it incorporated into dance? What does it mean? You know, it, it, that's really wonderful to give something to people in that description piece that we may have never had or have even a concept of. Absolutely. It's... I mean, circus as an art form has come such a long way. And, and with the mirror and other, you know, contemporary circus performances, there's so much story, uh, narrative and richness behind it. So it's not only impressive tricks and acrobatics. Uh, the yeah. mirror is also, you know, talking about this, uh, uh, it's really discussing about, you know, where does entertainment end and where does art begin? Um, you know, what does authenticity mean? What and, and it goes into this, you know, whole story about how we present on social media and, and this idea of um, presenting ourselves, but also being uh, an observer. It's, it's a really interesting uh, uh, piece, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you touched on this with Kelly a little bit, and I'm especially intrigued by this aspect where you have a play where you maybe just kind of need to know sort of who's entered the stage, who's left the stage, you know, maybe a, a few little sort of visuals here and there. But this is a very complicated acrobatics performance, which I would imagine would be difficult to describe. And some people, uh, including myself, may not even really have a concept of what types of things we're going to be seeing. So yeah. could you give us some insight? I don't know if you guys have described an acrobatic performance before, but like, what are some challenges with that? And what exactly, like, what types of things are people going to experience? This is a great question. We've never, um, you know, we haven't brought circus in a long time and not since I've been part of the organization. So we haven't done a described uh, circus piece before. So it's a first, uh, which is really <laughs> exciting and hopefully not the last. And so, you know, Rebecca of Superior Description, we, we, we love Rebecca. She's incredibly talented at what she does. And so I'm sure that she's going to be working hard to, to describe not only the, the acrobatics, as you said, but also make sure that the expression and the story is coming across in that description so that folks can also follow uh, the narrative of the piece and why it's so uh, touching and compelling. Oh, that's kind of amazing. Mm. Can you give us an example of like what kind of moves we're going to be like for someone like me, I've never been to the circus. I've never seen the circus yeah. or acrobatics. Like what kind of give us an example of, I guess, some of the visuals that we're going to be potentially seeing or describing. Sure. 
Yes, so there are eight circus performers uh, in this show, and you know you're going to see people standing on each other's shoulders and being falling backwards into the arms of the other circus performers. You're going to see them thrown from one person to another while they do a flip in the air. Um, it's really exciting. Oh, right uh, on screen right now, we see three people on top of each other, um, <laughs> one person standing on top of one person on top of another person. So it's it's pretty exciting and incredible um uh, that's great yeah it's really it's really cool to watch and, and that's what grant was asking nathan i th I find it so powerful I, and i remember when we first ever had a described uh on on ami years ago uh one of the movies that was the dancing mm -hmm. movies i think it was um oh my goodness what's it called the old one fred astaire i think it is uh, singing in the rain is that fred astaire anyway yes um is that am I right? I'm going right off the top of my head with that. <laughs> You're right. And it was it was almost as I always said to everybody there, forbidden fruit. We had no idea. I heard things in that. What? They're doing that because the concept wasn't there. And this is one of those things that for those out there curious and when you hear circus and, and that kind of thing, give it a shot because the concept we might have, what you just described now, and you may be saying to yourself, What? Why? But well, in the context of the show itself, this is such a moving piece. This is also for those of us able to take it in and hear these descriptions so liberating. Um, and, and, and I find when we've had our conversations with Christine Malik about this kind of thing, and as a person, when you talk to somebody who's been blind all their life and you hear this and you're, what? Why? What? <laughs> and, and, and go and actually take it in and hear Rebecca telling you, it's powerful. It really is. Um, any other accessible needs that, that are going to be met at the show? Anything else that people uh, can look forward to uh, out there that you guys make available? For sure, yes. So with every one of our audio described performances, we also offer introductory or pre-show notes so that you're able to get a sense of the work, uh, not only the work, but also the space. So uh, Rebecca will tell you a little bit about the theater itself and what, um, you know, the theater kind of feels like and, and um where you're seated and what the stage looks like, that sort of thing. Um, we also have an access guide that is a fully accessible by screen reader that lives on our website, which outlines the show, the set, the costumes, any of that really integral visual information. And of course, we're at a fully accessible venue for anyone who's in mobility devices or has any additional access needs. Our front of house team is wonderful and trained and ready to help. <laughs> awesome. Is it a complicated set? It is not. No, it, it, it has some LED uh, walls, so lots of lighting, really interesting lighting. Um, but that's kind of it. It's just these, you know, LED panels. Uh, it's not too intricate. Nice. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, definitely really useful for me. I know everybody's brain sort of works in a different way, but the hardest thing I find is keeping up with who all the different characters are. And I love to have a resource I can yeah. just go to read, you know, online, like before the show uh, to uh, provide that information. So that sounds really useful. Um, where can people go to learn, learn more information, maybe sign up for the accessible, uh, accessibility services, find the, the guide? Uh, I guess this would just be on, the, on your website there that people can check out. That's right. Yeah, everything's on our website, which is tolive.com. That's T-O-L-I-V-E.com. 
Why is accessibility uh, important to your organization? I mean, why isn't it? It should really be the question, right? Um, you know, it's 2024. We all got to wake up and, and really make sure that art is not something that can only be accessed by, um, you know, non-disabled, able-bodied, um, rich people, mm -hmm. um, which is something, you know, the arts have always been, you know, a little bit restrictive and not accessible to so many people. So trying to break down not only barriers for different disabled communities, um, but also, you know, let's think about financial accessibility for one, right? We don't want to spend $200 on a theater ticket. Uh, so these are all conversations that need to be happening, not only in our organization, but also in the ecosystem of the Toronto and Ontario and Canada and global art scene. Um, accessibility needs to be at the root of everything we do. Well, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. I remember the days when you could barely attend the theater at all, and now there are more and more accessible uh, theater options for people who are blind or with other disabilities. Thank you for doing what you were doing, and thank you for chatting with us on the show. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Take care, that Nathan. Nathan. That was Nathan Sartori, uh, program coordinator with live and coming up next jeffrey rainey is going to uh be here he enjoys collecting hats but it's a recent interest we find out how it all started on our collections chat join us soon it's fun insightful and inclusive kelly and ramya return in a minute As we return to Kelly and Ramya with Grant Hardy and Kelly McDonald hosting today, I'm reflecting on our previous conversation with Nathan Sartori from TO Live about an accessible theater performance. And I would imagine for you, Kelly, I know you're a huge theater fan and it must have been just so frustrating throughout your life to sort of either try and get someone to whisper in your ear or not really have a clue what's going on. Uh, and now we are just thriving with these amazing new accessibility services and i imagine especially yeah. for someone like you you must be all over this well yeah i mean i love what these guys are able to do um and we're talking some top notch shows there's a lot of shows on the community level that i know don't have the budgets don't have the means grant money isn't out there as someone's putting a show together necessarily or the first thing a, a small troupe thinks of i've been at many fringe festival shows where i would have loved to go and check out the dance show Check out the the magic show. Check it and scratch right off my list because I, as I said earlier, Forbidden Fruit can't take that in in the same way. Circus stuff I've been told about. I've heard the descriptions from people. You know, at that show, they were doing this. Sort of like what Nathan said, uh, uh, you know, in describing that picture to us, that shot we had up on the screen of the three people standing. Those things I've heard about. So I have the concept of when someone says dance and circus, what it means. But... Of course, first ever hearing it, like, what, they're going to bring some lion out there in the middle of the dance? He's going to eat the whole crowd or what? What's going to go on? It had no concept as to what it was until I heard. And when you think of the opportunity to see something like this, oh, Grant, it's beautiful. So uh, Fedora's off to those guys because it's, it's really, um, really wonderful and so challenging, I would imagine, just to do dance, let alone some of the stunts and knowing what you're going to leave in, what you're not. Oh, uh, notice I said, 
Fedora's off, Grant. Uh, on our monthly hobbies and collections segment, we explore the things that people are collecting and the stories and sentiments behind those collections. Let's get to know somebody who's recently found an affinity for hats. We welcome back to the program, Jeffrey Rainey. Jeff, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm great. How are you two gentlemen? Excellent. Thank Good you. Evening. And I, lo I love this here. Uh, did you always wear hats? I always did, but they were always utilitarian for me, or I guess utility for me. Just, you know, like any other piece of clothing, it was something you wore seasonally. You know, you wore a toque in the winter to keep your ears warm. You wore the cap right. in the summer or, you know, or, or a sun hat in the summer to keep your head warm, but I never to keep your sun off your face, but I never really uh, gave it much thought after than that. I guess growing up, uh, any kind of hat that stuck out to me was something with memorabilia. Like as an example, as a kid, I really enjoyed listening to uh, a DJ named Don Daynard who hosted an oldie show. And every mm -hmm. Christmas, a uh, their station uh, here in Toronto, CHFI, had their mm. city hall celebration and we would go there and I got a hat from them. And so I proudly wore that toque across the playground. Or, you know, a friend of Mars gave us a Pink Floyd baseball cap and that was really cool because they're my favorite band. But Aside from that, I never really gave them much thought. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Don Daner makes me smile because I always think when I hear his name, is that right? Because he had a commercial that ran to promote that mixed up his name. That he, he got so it was to be him jumping on air. And when he starts off, he calls himself Don Daynard or something like that. And it it sticks where I hear his name now and I stop and say, Hold on, is that right? Um I've always loved that aspect as, as, as we always, you mentioned the old sun hats. I used to have the old beach hat, like uh, some people would remember from Gilligan's Island. I enjoyed wearing those kinds of things for, again, much the same reason, cover up a little bit for, to protect from sun, if that was the case, or just to have, you know, plop something on my head for wh whatever reason. So uh, I totally hear you. And that's really, really interesting when you think about that kind of thing. Um, you know, especially going back that far. So, Grant, do you, do you do you wear hats? I don't, but I was just thinking about this. I've been told that I should wear hats for pretty much my own li my whole life, not just for uh, you know that stereotypical sort of safety aspect, because but because I'm incredibly sensitive to the sun, I have a tendency to stare towards the sun too, unfortunately. And wearing a hat would be super useful for kind of protecting my skin and maybe looking stylish too. But I feel like this is something that you guys, like you two, really have in common because you both wear hats and you're kind of bonding over your hat collection, which is really really kind of cool like i feel like i need to i want to join the club now <laughs> uh what 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 kind of hats are you into lately and uh how did you get started in terms of this interest well how i got started was <clears throat> it's funny kelly mentioned the uh kind of picked up on the sun hat aspect i always too loved wearing a bucket hat during the summer i love the way the brim felt I love a cotton cotton brim around my ears, the, the, the sort of fabric crown on top. It was very flat and nice. And it kind of silhouetted my face kind of nicely. So during the summer, that was fun to wear. And then uh, once I hit uh, in my teen years, that kind of became out of style. 
and everyone sort of turned towards more baseball caps and i mm -hmm. that kind of confused me a little bit because i never understood why i never understood how something so kind of uh basic and you know for utility and practicality was now considered uh, yep. like kind of you know, kidsy or or, or for, for for children or just kind mm -hmm. of uncool is the word and so i i went ahead with it and kind of forgot all about it until sometime afterwards when i was you know long past my schooling years at least my high school years i found that you know that little bucket hat in the cupboard somewhere and that kind of reinvigorated that curiosity and i always kind of thought why what was that about and uh so i started looking into that and realized that really kind of style is uh is a subjective thing it goes mm -hmm. it kind of is is goes through phases and kind of got the bug for it. So I just kind of bit what I kind of got one that would fit my grown up head, which is this one right here. And, uh, <laughs> that I particular really head. To... Oh, that particular hat. I think I meant that head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I figured that was the grown up head. Um, <laughs> the grown up yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> People kind of get confused awesome. sometimes. No. Exactly. Um, Did you feel funny though, going back to wearing that sort of since, you know, no. you had it from kid years? No, it was kind of, it was something that I always enjoyed. So it kind of was like yeah. a nostalgia thing. <clears throat> but then all of a sudden, here I am wearing it like on a beach setting during the summer around people who never knew me back then. And I'm getting compliments on it. Like, wow, you look Ooh. good in a bucket hat. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, so, and that kind of sort of, I guess brought me to wonder, well, what else is there? What else is there for fun during the summer? I've already, you know, I've only got like one or two hats that I reach for. What can I change? And so I was looking at what kind of you know, straw hats are out there and ah. one of those. And then, then you, the more you end up looking at what's out there, you inadvertently go down the rabbit hole. In this case, you can't really get mm -hmm. the rabbit to come out of the hat. Uh, <laughs> but, so when you say straw hat, though, are you talking more Western or sombrero? What kind of straw hat? Can you describe it? In this case, I went with a Panama hat. I started out with a Panama okay. hat. I would then later add Western hats to it, but uh, part of it too was the fact that I'd been to Panama before. And even though I mm. knew that they weren't originally from Panama, they were woven in Ecuador. It just kind of was a neat little name. Plus you can always just play the Van Halen song in your head, which is pretty cool. <laughs> but exactly. But it's one thing to say Panama hat. It's another to say, well, what kind of hat is it specifically? And that's why I thought it was fitting that you said fedora in the beginning, Kelly, because that's what the majority of them are, at least from what I've seen. That style. I, yeah. I feel like this is one point where I'm I'm blind, so I'm not sure what your setup there looks like, but I can picture you like surrounded by like a bunch of your favorite hats right now is is that close to the truth or are, are they stowed away somewhere uh well we brought them out for television most of the time they kind okay. of hang neatly on hooks or yeah. out of the way yes. so not that they just kind of there when mm -hmm. you want them but uh for for the for the viewing audience we brought them do, out here do you have any funny stories i'll tell you mine i was wearing a hat at the beach last summer and it was super sunny and i was just lying down closing my eyes so i figured i'm just going to put the, my hat over my face to kind of shield my eyes but i was still operating my phone and i had a bunch of people like 
staring at me like, what is this person doing? How is he operating his phone without being able to see it? And that's always fun to mess with people a little bit, isn't it? Do you have any funny stories about hats like that or losing a hat, finding it? I don't know. Having it blow off and land in someone's lunch? Um, sometimes that was the, the biggest thing as soon as I got one, if it was the right size, you know, or if it was the wrong size, what could I do so that it mm. wouldn't blow off because, but then that's oh, the other yeah. thing too. That kind of brings up the whole, well, how often do you think about what size is my hat? You think about sort of what size are your shirts, your, your, your pants, your jackets, but you never really think about your head size. Uh, and of course, like anything else, there's the metric and imperial and ways of measuring mm. them. So you don't know. And then it's like, well, if you don't know than you know what to look for so that kind of also just kind of fed into this whole curiosity of hat styles and uh yeah, i guess yeah the medium large thing sometimes doesn't cut it because you need more of that and the hats vary depending on where you're going to how you should properly wear it on your head that's another thing too brim up brim down lean it backwards lean it forward straight straight up top yeah. what's your natural tendency to wear something you know, for me, I tend to wear, you know, hats very low. So sometimes if it's a lower crown, I might like push it up or then you kind of adjust it that way. So it's always a bit of a process once you get one. Okay. You mentioned the sun hat. Is that the one that, I, I what, what hat is the one that actually had no top? They were open. It was almost like a rim around your head with a brim. I, I remember people calling those sun hats, but I think of more, I thought, well, God, if you're out in the sun, this isn't going to give you protection from, you know, yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, maybe just a visor, because I know the baseball hat ones are visors. I wondered if the ones that are kind of brim all around, I thought those were called that. But going back, thank you, Harini, appreciate that. Uh, going back to your baseball remark, Jeff, I had to wonder if a lot of stuff with baseball hats was because of advertising. Right. You could make it wasn't just, hey, this is a Los Angeles Dodgers hat or, or a Toronto Blue Jays hat, whatever. The, so many companies, Snap-on Tools, for example, were, the, were really popular years ago for those hats for people to casually wear. And I, I had to wonder if that's what I don't look good in baseball hats. So I, I, I you know, if you're hard pressed to find me wearing one. But, um, it, you know, you wondered if that's some of the things that that people thought about. Would you take us on a little walkthrough and describe some of the hats so we can show those up on the screen for those who can see them and fill us in for those of us who may not necessarily know what they are. Okay, so we, we started with the summer hat kind of collection. We spent some time there uh, with, the, with the sort of bucket hat and the Panama straw hat. Uh, what kind of happened next is I was like, okay, I've got this really cool looking hat for the summer, but it'd be nice to have something that looked like that for the sort of winter or the the, the spring fall season that was more right. of a different material and so i in in searching for a place to, to find something like that i found a, a hat shop that long story short small world the owner ended up having ties with uh my own extended family and he saw this the 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 panama hat from the summer and he recommended this really nice black fedora with uh you know, with a snap rim, a bow on top, and it has, I guess, kind of like a sort of godfather sort of look to it. But, you know, I mean, how many people wear fedoras and how has the fedora changed over the years? So it started out as a right. women's hat and then yes. it was, you know, eventually men picked it up and then it was worn all the way, you know, kind of became from the rich man's or even the stage to just everyday, everyday man. Everyone left this house with a fedora on. 
and uh, eventually that would change. We can get to that in a bit, but then, uh, so with with the, there's different types of fedoras, different different brim sizes, different crown heights, different like the different top height top heights, excuse me, uh, crown shapes. Uh, but the 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 felt and the straw one were kind of about the same, with just a little bit more pinched in on the front where your where your eyes would be, uh, kind of having a more Western look to it. So if you saw like a standard uh, sort of cowboy hat with the rectangular top, if you will, it's all a little like that. Uh, but then kind of became more the, the the oval tops, the telescope as they call them, support so pies, and even gambler, which is a Western style but mm-hmm. having those same kind of properties. Um, such one hat that is here. And again, these all sort of came out of curiosity. And uh, your face shape, that's another thing. You don't really mm-hmm. think about your face shape too much when, uh, uh, when, when going about your business, but for, for hats and especially sunglasses, what kind of, or even just glasses in general, what would, what can feel best on your face. Um, there's kind of guides for what would go well if you have a, a, an oval style face, an oval shaped face, a round shaped face, or a, a, a diamond face. And uh, that kind of helps you go from there. So yeah, uh, from there. So we got the, we got the, 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 the fedora, the pork pie, the gambler, and uh, a couple of winter hats too. We got, uh, we got, Tukes, lots of toques that we all know and love, and then uh, some uh, fur hats. The, the, nice. the winter hat style is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I'm super uncomfortable thinking about what is my face shape, what is my face size, what is my head size. I don't know why, <laughs> but is that just is that just me or is anyone else? A little no, I think like that was that, me knowing too. the size, right? And you're not sure what that means. Is that a minus a plus? Like, does that say something I know, about me? That's it. Wow, uh, Jeff, it's how many exact- hats do you have in total? Do you know, in total hand? probably I, about. All of them in total, maybe 13, 14, which doesn't sound like a lot, but some of them can stow away easier and some of them yet you have to hang. And uh, again, this was only something that has developed over the past three, four years. If you'd asked me several years ago, I would have just said, no, the hat is just a hat. No, whatever it is. Do you wear them outside or do you have any that you don't wear? Um, I do my best to wear all of them. I don't like to buy something that I won't use. Uh, sometimes I, w- I might only wear some of the more uh, some of the more bold ones when it either like I have another straw hat, for example, not with me at the moment, but uh, it's a gambler style, a Western style, and it has a similar straw feeling to the Panama one, but with a more um, oval crown on the top. Um, so it looks like awesome. the, the gamblers that were shown on television earlier. That one is more like a, you know, a, a, a pilgrim style, if you'd want to call it that, for for lack of a better term. That's just kind of what comes to mind. But that Fantastic. is more kind of for me, oh my like God. a <laughs> yeah. chat, like yeah. a like a, or even just a, a you know, a round on the a lazy day on the deck on in, during the summer. Uh, environment is a big one too. You might not wear. Uh, some Western hats or bowler hats in the city, but once you go out to uh, to, the, to the country or to the, you know out west, you know it's a very different scene out there. And 
and more acceptable or or it fits in jeff i could go on for hours going with this this is <laughs> i love it i love the research we're out of time thanks a lot for coming on board and doing this today and have fun with the collecting i i think hats are are really cool something that i've always enjoyed since i was a child and and uh not so much collected then um but it, it's so interesting to learn about and through pop culture thanks pal thanks kelly uh this is interesting for me too we'll see what happens Jeff Rainey joining us to talk about his hat collection right here on Collections, and we do this once a month here on the program. Uh, he says he's got 13 or 14. I think I have one, and I don't even know where it is. Coming up next, we're going <laughs> to wrap up the show. <laughs> we're going to wrap up the show and find out what's going on on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow. Please hang out. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. If you missed any part of the show today, feel free to check us out on the Kelly and Ramya podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And you can catch up on the show today, which was hosted by myself, Grant Hardy, and Kelly McDonald. Also coming up tomorrow and on the podcast platforms is Now with Dave Brown, our morning show. Kelly, what's coming up on the show tomorrow? They kick things off, Grant, at 9 a.m. Journalist Arnold Kopecki talks about the impact of the U.N. Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People in B.C. Originally signed in 2019, um, the impacts of the law to protect the province's biodiversity and the rights of Indigenous people, well, those effects are being felt today. Also on the show, Peter Parson will tell us more about the up-and-coming goalball athletes, and Laura Bain will return to their program with the Entertainment Report, all starting at 9 a.m. in the morning. You can find them also available as a podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Kelly. For our closing moment today, there's actually a startup working on a new headband called Halo. It's being developed by Prophetic, a U.S. company, uh, and it's uh, slated for release in 2025. You put it on your head, and it will allow you to have more lucid dreams and enjoy greater control over their content in ways that will benefit your waking life, supposedly, allowing you to solve uh, problems like practicing guitar, let's say. So the defining feature of a lucid dream is your awareness of being in a dream, and in some cases, you might, might might also be able to exert a degree of control over what happens with that dream. Uh, these uh, times, uh, types of dreams can occur spontaneously during REM sleep, but maybe with the help of technology as well. Uh, so apparently, uh, you put this headbound uh, on, and it collects vast amounts. This is what they're doing to design it. They're collecting vast amounts of brainwave data from volunteers experiencing lucid dreams. The idea is to build a detailed map of what's happening in the brain during different times of lucid dreams. This information will then, uh, uh, it's going to be used to key in in areas of investigation so that using um, trends, uh, sorry, trends, I can't quite get that word out for whatever reason. But basically, you're going to put the band on, and it's going to influence your brain to have more lucid dreams. But people are wondering mm. if this could actually interfere with normal dreams. Like if in your waking life, if you don't have the dreams you're supposed to have, maybe you could experience 
some actual problems. What do you think about this, Kelly? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what I would think of. We, we talk about the light, the blue light, the different things like that that affect us in different ways. And you do wonder about the rewiring, if you want to say, um, just like magnetic or anything like that can have, uh, you know, exposure can have negative impacts on us. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would think that. I would think sometimes we do it to ourselves. If we believe something is so useful, so powerful, what will that do to us? What will that disrupt? Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite ready for brain technology. I don't know if it's going to do anything <laughs> good. <laughs> I don't know if it's worth it for me. We'll see. A lot uh, of tempering. Right. Exactly. Fantastic show, Kelly. Thanks so much. It's always fun. Tomorrow, here's what's coming up on the show. How was Usher's Super Super Bowl halftime show, and where does it stack against some of the uh, greater ones? We discuss more with Corinne Van Dusen on our entertainment report. What would a Toronto that prioritizes blackness and disability justice look like? This is a topic of conversation with Silt and community reporter Stephen Ricci. will tell us more on the show tomorrow. We're waving at you. Catch us tomorrow, folks. Hi, everyone. It is Beth Deer here. And today I am the voice of your vanity card. Um, I have lots of things going on at the moment, I guess is probably the best way to put that. Um, it's... It's been a crazy, crazy month. I think I mentioned in my last fantasy card, Patronus got retired. My granddad passed away. Um, since then, I have had several trips to emergency and that has just been wild. Let me tell you, uh, I don't know if you specifically as a person listening to this is someone that has a visual impairment or a disability, but the emergency room in Edmonton at the downtown hospital is um, <laughs> is a crazy place to be by yourself when you can't see or are at, or <laughs> the best way to put that is probably, you know, in more of a vulnerable position than the majority of the general public. Um, yeah, wow, what an experience. Um <laughs> can't say uh one that I will be rushing back to anytime soon <laughs> um I am finally 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 heading back to the UK I don't think I've ever spoken about where I'm really from in England before but if any of you know Fern Lullum who comes on uh bi-weekly she's on the show bi-weekly on every th on Thursday bi-weekly she's not on every Thursday she's bi-weekly goodness Beth um but she lives in Hastings now I live in a town called Crowborough that is probably not even half an hour from Hastings um so my mum still lives there along with my sister and my grandma so we are going to be heading back there for my granddad's funeral which I'm very excited for that sounds weird, I know, to say you're excited for a funeral. I'm not excited for the funeral. I'm excited to give him the send-off that he deserves um, and to obviously see my family and for my daughter to get to see her family and maybe now that she's a little bit older, spend a bit more time with people and actually kind of take in a bit more. <laughs> she's not just a, a potato anymore, if you will. 
Um, so yeah, I'm uh, not looking forward to, however, the nine and a half hour flight. I will be just over 24 weeks pregnant when we fly. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that is going to be interesting. And obviously my daughter is two or going to be turning two. Um, so that is going to make for an extremely interesting flight for us. Really, really hoping that she sleeps the entire time, but who knows? Um, I will be taking a week away from the buzz. Um, obviously we're still, uh, We're still, I say we, I am still filling in for Bill, which I am really enjoying. But obviously, I think of Bill a lot and uh, I really hope he's doing okay. Um, Anyway, I'm going to be taking a week away from the buzz to obviously spend some time with my family and uh, help out anywhere I can. Um, But I will be presenting the buzz from the UK, hopefully two or three times while I'm there. So very, very excited about that. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have to find some Englishy articles to bring you all. So look out for that. I hope everyone's having a great week and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Shaun of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.